you may be seated, I'd like to call your attention to a couple of prayer items before we pray. And so, have you seated for that. Um, first of all, let's remember to pray for the last four days of the Guatemala trip number one. Um, the pastor and Blake and a, about uh, 20 other folks are down in Guatemala serving. Uh, more than half of the houses have already been built, praise the Lord. Uh, there are 50-plus uh, children attending um, a vacation Bible school that they're operating there in the villages. And there were 40-plus ladies that attended the ladies' event uh, yesterday. And all those opportunities were the gospel was shared. So praise the Lord for that. Um, also, remember this week uh, the Southern Baptist Convention is going on in uh, uh, New Orleans, and so our very own Don Currents uh, helps with registration and the Credentials Committee. He left for, uh, for there Thursday to prepare, and so he has a lot of work to do. Pray for his wisdom and discernment as he does his uh, task down there. We also are sending 12 messengers. If you're one of the messengers that's going to the convention, would you stand briefly so we know who you are and we could pray for you? Anybody? Okay, we got some. Okay, good, good, good. All right, you be seated. God bless you. And uh, let's go ahead and, and pray for those, uh, those requests today. Lord God, as we enter worship today, number one, obviously, we, we uh, echo this song that we just sang. Uh, Lord, come and reign over us. Give us the ability to give you praise today. We know that ability only comes from your Holy Spirit, and Lord, we ask you for that. Lord, there are other needs uh, today, obviously thousands of needs within a church our size, um, but the two that, that come to mind right now are our convention. Uh, Lord, be with the discernment of our messengers that they would vote wisely and biblically. Uh, Lord, be with the convention that uh, we would stay uh, very Bible-based and, and not stray from your word. Lord, we pray that uh, for those who are uh, in, in Guatemala still have a few days to serve, Lord, that your, the gospel would be strongly presented and many men and women, boys and girls, they would have the seed of salvation placed in their heart. And uh, Lord, we just thank you for all that you're allowing us to do for your name, your great name. And it's in that great name we pray. Amen. Uh, just a reminder, uh, we do have a connection card and a prayer card in the pew back in front of you. So it, please fill that out and uh, put that in the offering plate uh, as, as it applies. Uh, if you do have a connection card and you want to talk to somebody, there is always somebody right in the connection center after the, the worship service to ask questions about the church if you have uh, those type of questions. Uh, so, I mentioned the pastor's gone. Uh, Brother James is going to be preaching today and on the topic of one of Jesus' miracles. And so, this song came to mind, an old uh, song about the turn of the century, uh, our century, not the past century. Uh, but, uh, and, uh, but it just reminds us that our God is, the, is still the God of wonders. Amen? God of wonders. See you. 
about God's wonders, as we think about miracles, um, the question that is before us, is the miracle the main thing, or is the life transformation that happens because of the miracle the main thing? And we know biblically it's the latter, amen? And uh, this song says that so clearly. Matter of fact, the last phrase says this, because of God's wonders, because of His miracles in, that He can perform in our lives, He is able more than able to make me what he wants me to be. He makes stuff happen too, but the stuff is about me being what he wants me to be. Amen? What he wants you to be. Let's sing this together.
God, we just come before you now and we ask uh, as we give this offering, Lord, that you would make us cheerful givers. Uh, Lord, that you would uh, meet every need uh, in this church and in this uh, city and in our state and around the world because of our gifts. Our gifts do go around the world through missionaries and other means. And, and so, Lord, we, uh, we, we just pray that every need that you need met would be met through us because of our obedience. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Next couple of songs, um, our, our preaching uh, pastor today did my job for me. Uh, he said, I like these songs because they really fit well, and they do, uh, with the message he's going to be preaching. So let's sing these uh, great songs about how God miraculously works in our life. If you've been walking the same old road for miles and miles, You've been hearing the same old voice tell the same old lies. If you've been trying to feel the same old holes inside, there's a better life. There's a better life. If you got pain, he's a pain taker. If you feel lost.
Oh, my God. 
My sin was heavy, the chains break at the weight of your glory. I was sheltered, I was an orphan, now you call me a citizen of heaven. When I was broken, you were my healing, now your love is the air that I'm breathing. I have a future, my eyes are open, cause when you If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 5. I hope you mean it when you all nodded and said, we'll be praying for the team in Guatemala. They are about halfway through the week, and we know that in hearing things back, they are doing great things. And it is by prayer that we are involved with God's kingdom advancement. Amen. And so I hope this week you would truly keep that at the top of your list. If you got your Bible, we're going to be in yet another miracle story of Jesus. And I'm going to start in the middle of this passage. So if you guys are like, man, has James lost his mind? What in the world is he doing? This morning we have a complex miracle story. And so I'm going to start in the middle, and then we're going to tiptoe our way through this because there are several sides to looking at this miracle. If you have your Bible, we'll start reading with verse 25. Of Mark chapter 5. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I even touch his garment, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for the time that we can come and worship you. Father, we thank you that you brought us forth from that grave. And Father, we know deeper, though, that it was because of your glorious resurrection that we hold true and can hang on to that hope for our lives. Father, we thank you for that assurance 
Lord, Father, this morning we turn to a subject for many that are, is uncomfortable. It's hard to talk about. And Lord, we just pray this morning that, one, you would illuminate uh, the truth and the hope that we have in you. For others of us, Lord, this message comes as a conviction because, God, you're calling us forward in your advancement and the work of your kingdom. Lord, help us to have ears to listen. For it's in your wonderful name we pray. Amen. As I mentioned before, the last time that I have been here and had the pulpit and shared with you all, we've been going through a series of miracle stories. Um, we looked at first Jesus' authority over nature and the calming of the storm with the disciples out at sea. We also looked at Jesus' um, authority over sin. And we talked about, we looked at the uh, story of how the paralytic was lowered down through the rooftop to Jesus. And he not only healed the paralytic, but he also granted new spiritual life. Most recently, I had the opportunity of discussing Jesus' authority through Scripture over demons. And we talked about how Jesus cast the demon, freed the man in the synagogue in Capernaum, and how that radically changed his life. This morning, we're going to now turn the dial to yet another testimony of the Gospels for us. We're going to look at the authority of Jesus over death. Is that a comfortable subject to talk about? For some, it's not a problem, but we know the reality is that man has a, I don't know, maybe a fear of discussing the subject, right? Hebrews chapter 2 talks about that fear that we have at times talking about death. Job chapter 18 says that the, the king of terrors is death, and also in Psalm 55, it just flat out says sometimes it's a terrifying subject. But this morning, as we look at the authority of Christ, there's a hope that resonates for you and for me. And that the truth is, no man has escaped this, but we're going to hear of one man who did. Man, isn't this sermon starting on such a wonderful note? <laughs> this morning, Mark chapter 5 is going to bring us to a point of an argument. I don't have time to go back through chapters 3, 4, and leading up to this point and go through every point of argument that Mark makes here. But he's going to make a profound argument concerning the authority that Jesus has over, you know it, that unfortunate thing we talk about, death. Of all the 39 miracles that are in Scripture, both Matthew and Luke and Mark here testify to this very special moment. Does that create a little curiosity in your mind? It does for me. Because as we explore it, there's going to be more than just a miracle here. There's going to be a, a truth about the Savior. As we know, there's more to every miracle story. And this morning, I will not exhaust you with a full 45 minutes of what this miracle all conveys to us. But this morning, I hope that we can answer the question of what kind of Savior do we have? It's one thing to say that Jesus holds the keys of uh, the authority over death, but it's another to look at the heart in which he does that. And this morning, that's going to be our challenge. That's my challenge to you as we go through this. We're going to look through the lenses of not only the miracle itself, but we're going to see the heart and the nature of a Savior that we worship this morning. However, before we leave this morning, 
don't be dismissed. The, the question still stands, as Mark's going to make it clear for us, do you trust in the Savior that holds the authority over death? I hope that you will answer that question. We will see not only the answer of a woman who had an urgent need, but we're also going to see a man who's going to receive back his urgent request of the Savior. So let's explore this. If you have your Bible still open, we're going to look at the availability of a Savior. If you look at verse 24, it begins by saying it's a transitional verse here. And he went with him. Now let's skip back to actually verse 21, because this sets the context of what's going on. Verse 21 of Mark chapter 5, And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd um, gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. And then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet and he implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. We know from the earlier parts of this chapter that literally Jesus exercised his authority over the man that was consumed or um, ruled by a legion of demons. That's many demons were within this man. The Gerasene residents who saw Jesus take control of that moment and exercise that authority over the demons, they begged him, Jesus, we just want you to leave. This intimidates and scares us. And so Jesus um, gets in the boat. He goes across the Sea of Galilee. It would be approximately a six-mile trek. It wasn't that far. But as soon as Jesus arrived to the other side of the shore, there was a large crowd. We don't know exactly where on the seashore that Jesus arrived, but we know that Jesus' public ministry at this time was absolutely just growing by leaps and bounds. The crowds turned into multitudes, and the multitudes only exerted more uh, distraction, more difficulty, more involvement, and more miraculous works, as Scripture tells us. So as they arrive, we're introduced to two different people. As we opened this message in our time together, we looked at the woman who had a physical illness. And now we're introduced uh, to Jairus, which um, we're given a little bit of detail, but not a whole lot. What do we know about Jairus? Well, Jairus was a, not a ruler over the synagogue. He was more of an administrative manager. He would have been involved with um, keeping things in order, inviting um, people to come and speak at the synagogue. And so he had a distinctive role and position, one that was important. Um, and so he was probably a respected man, as we're going to hear as the latter parts of this passage. He had, he had a home. And so we know that as Jairus was there in that moment, he wasn't part of this crowd. He was trying to get through the crowd to someone he knew held an answer. Um, Jairus stood in a crisis moment. And even though we're not given explicit reason for Jairus being there, other than he had a daughter that we're going to hear more about in a minute, he had a challenge of finding, uh, getting Jesus' attention, let alone get him out of the large crowd and get him to come back to his home. 
I don't know about you, but I can only imagine what that looked like. Because the crowd wasn't just people coming to a concert like we see today. It probably reminds me of Black Friday shopping, right? Yeah, a few of you know what it's like. I remember a couple years ago before COVID kind of changed the whole frenzy. You remember Thursday nights after Thanksgiving? Literally in the store and I I picked this item up and I'm like, I really don't need this. It already is 40% overpriced. As soon as I put it back on the shelf before I could even take my fingers off of it, this lady swoops it up and says, hey, I found it. I was like, oh my goodness. Let's get out of here. This is not the place to be, right? People running down the shelves, just clearing shelves of stuff into carts. The frenzy of this was different. It wasn't this excitement. It was this desperate groaning and need. The people in this this crowd were people who suffered from great illness, great tragedy, uh, some of them great disabilities, that literally there was no answer in that day. And so these crowds definitely hearing that Jesus had been performing these miracles and the testimonies radiated, the crowds just began to grow greater and greater in need. As we look at Genesis chapter 3, Scripture reveals for us that we do live in a world that is fallen and broken, right? It reveals to us that, there's a, that the world is dominated by death and disease. However, God's word is clear that Jesus Christ came and that he came for four purposes that I, if you're taking notes this morning, I encourage you to jot down these verses and you can go back this week and read a little more about it. Number one, Jesus came to uh, fulfill the law. Matthew chapter, 15, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come to not abolish them, but to fulfill them. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Number two, Jesus came to call sinners into repentance. Uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 32. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Luke chapter 5, verse 32. Number three, scripture is clear that Jesus came to serve and to give his life. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to uh, give his life as a ransom for many. That was Mark chapter 10, verse 45. And then finally, Jesus came to save the lost. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what? The lost. Amen. Uh, Does God really care about our struggles? I hear that question often. And maybe sometimes when we go through times and periods of life, we ask that question. John 10.10 made it clear that um, the thief comes to only steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it, what? Abundantly. Jairus' actions here echo a heart of absolute desperation, but a sincere faith in a Savior. As a member of the Jewish establishment, as we read about Jesus' days here on earth... The, uh, the Jews grew more and more, especially the religious leaders, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they grew hostile towards Jesus. Jairus was part of that organization. He was very much a part of that. And so when he humbled himself, he came to Christ with no distinction. He laid all of that 
aside. And how did Jesus respond? He responded no differently than when he responded to the leper that came and beseeched Jesus in needing a a healing in Mark chapter 1. Jesus accepted his faith action towards him. Faith enables all in the sight of Christ. The honored and the dishonored, the clean or the unclean, can all find merciful power of a Savior, that is, from Jesus Christ. All is equal before Christ. Since we've looked at the front side of this miracle now, let's continue reading because there's much more offered for us. We know um, as we looked at verses 25 through 29 that there was a desperate woman who had a health issue that came to Christ. And let's see how this ends in verse 30. What is Jesus' reply to her? And Jesus, verse 30, perceiving in himself that the power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. Verse 33, But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, she came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has been, made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. As we look at the second part, there's no other miracle in Scripture that literally you can't begin to describe this. It fascinates me. Jesus is standing in a crowd that is shoulder to shoulder, chest to chest, arms are out. We know as we study Scripture that um, even in Jesus and for some of the uh, disciples, they had the authority and the ability that literally just by the gentle touch, God was doing miraculous things. And so as this crowd drew more and more upon Christ, he could have turned and been a very harsh word for this woman. But what does he do? He asked the disciples, who touched me? What was their reply? Well, we don't know. It could have been anybody, right? They're bewildered. They're like, what in the world? Now, is this a gap in Jesus's all-knowing authority? Absolutely not. Jesus is beckoning the response of this woman as we've read this passage and we've seen. There's no mistaking about it. Number one, Jesus aspired uh, to meet the desperate faith that was put forth, right? It may not have been solid faith. It may not have been an all-knowing faith, but she had faith in what? She had faith in the Savior, and she knew what the answer was. And second of all, her faith was truly squared upon Jesus himself. If you study the Old Testament laws, this woman was in a desperate situation, uh, more than we understand to this day. She was spiritually ostracized, emotionally she was humiliated, and physically she was agonized in pain probably for 12 years or more. Can you only imagine? However, Mark clearly shows that how Jesus truly responded to this woman, he showed the compassion of an almighty, powerful Savior. A couple, two weeks ago, it's about two weeks now, we got the opportunity to go and celebrate Amy's parents' 50th anniversary, so we went on a cruise together. And there's all kinds of stories. 
But as we were there on the last day, we're coming back from our cruise, it was pretty rough out on the open sea. And Owen had begged me, Dad, let's do the ropes course. They have the up on the top deck, they have all these fun things to do. And I put Owen off day after day. He's like, hey, the nice calm days. Oh, we'll do, we'll do that later. So finally on the last day, Owen's like, Dad, you said you were going to do this with me. And so what did Dad do? He went ahead and got up there. So we geared up. And if you've ever seen the, the rigging gears, they have this obstacle course. And usually it's probably as high as our balcony up above the deck where everybody else is below. So everybody's seeing you. And it's kind of scary. Uh, the harness and stuff, I wasn't scared about at all because I knew how it worked. And if you slipped off of the walking obstacle path, it would catch you. There was nothing to fear there. What was fearful is what some slipping and falling. And everybody goes, ah, ha, ha. You know, they laugh at you. And so we're up there, and literally the winds are at least 40 to 45 miles an hour. And I'm like, the, the people behind her going, nope, I'm not doing that. Nope, I'm not doing that. I'm like, we're the last ones getting on the, on the safety line. And so I said, oh, and you're going to let me have the easy course since this is my first time? He's like, oh, yeah, that's the easy one. Well, I'm pretty sure he put me on the hard side. And so we took off together, and we're going through, and there's this little boy in front of us, and we get up on a pylon, and we all get stopped. There's people behind us. There's a few little boys in front of him about his same age. And the guy that's running this little course, he's hollering all kinds of things at us. I'm like, I can't hear what you're saying. And this boy, he has got the grip of death on his rope. He is not going to finish this small little obstacle. And so the boys behind him are like, oh, don't be a sissy, you know, name calling, everything under the sun going on. And I'm sitting there going, holding on for dear life because I don't want to fall either. And I'm just like, there was just this moment of having done repelling with a lot of people. I just leaned over to the boy and I said, hey, it'll, it'll be okay. We're, this is the last one we need to do to get there. You can do this. And if you don't, I'm going to push you. No. Um, <laughs> As we look at this moment, Jesus held the power and the authority over all illness and health. And how did he respond to this woman? With a kind, compassionate heart. Does that bring joy to your heart? It did for this woman. We don't know for sure. We don't hear her response other than Jesus very clearly called her daughter. He affirmed her faith. Our greatest need isn't the physical healing that we seek. It's the spiritual healing that we need of the heart. The Gospels use this word sozo. It's a Greek word for faith. And unfortunately in our English, we have faith. I hope I get out of here in time for lunch, right? Or I hope that my soul for eternity is saved in the hands of my Savior. And unfortunately, the English doesn't differentiate that. And so when you look back to the Greek, the Greek makes it crystal clear that the faith that, this, um, that Jesus was speaking to this woman, it was a saving faith. I hope that brings encouragement to you. Has your faith saved you? Consequently, Jesus welcomed this interruption. Amen. And taking the necessary time to minister to her, not only healed her body, but it healed her soul. Well, guess what? This sermon's not over. 
It's just getting started. Look with me at Mark chapter 5, verse 35. We not only see the availability of a Savior, we not only see the compassion and love of a Savior, but we're going to see the Savior who holds truly the keys over life and death. Look at verse 35. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus um, said to the ruler of the synagogue, that'd be Jairus, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, but he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kuma, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Mark doesn't give us a minute-by-minute timeline exactly of what happened, but he does pinpoint enough detail that we know that there was some time that passed when he took the time and spoke compassion into this woman's life. And so can you only anticipate or see what Jairus was thinking? He was probably tapping his toes, saying, okay, come on, Jesus, we need to get out of this crowd. We need to get to the house, right? Because literally in this passage, Jairus came to Jesus knowing that literally his daughter was on the uh, threshold of death. There's something else that starts to creep forward from this passage. Do you hear it? There's a skepticism, right? The truth is, time had passed. His daughter had what? Had passed as well. And so even the people, the messengers that came to Jairus, they said, hey, don't bother the teacher anymore. It's it's done. What does an all-loving, compassionate Savior say in a moment of crisis? Don't fear. Don't doubt. Watch this. And so literally Jesus took uh, Jairus and Peter and James and John, and they took off for the house. As we read this passage, everything adds together. We know that there were mourners. There was probably family. In the first century, after someone passed, it was very common to have people come in, and it would just be this wailing and this commotion. It still happens in the Middle East today. And so literally what details Mark provides for us, it is very clear that this girl was dead. Not only dead, but everyone in the house knew she had passed, and other people had come in for those moments in preparation afterwards. Jesus does what? He walks into the scene and almost makes an off-color joke, right? Everybody's wailing. Everybody's beginning to move in the motions of what a funeral looks like. And he says, why are you guys making such a commotion? Now, I don't know about you, but what happens? For some, it would be like disgust. It's like, hey, don't you have just a tender heart here for this moment? No, literally, they laughed at him because they were absolutely convinced this girl had passed. She was not in a coma. She was not in a state of unconsciousness. She had truly passed. 
There was a need that existed before Jesus. Jesus finished this um, life-altering work of eventually forcing death from this home, didn't he? He took the little girl by hand, and he not only spoke her back into life, but what did she say? Mark tells us she not only got up at the command of Jesus, but she started to walk around. And then eventually, Mark says, Jesus gave the instruction of what? Feed her, tend to her needs. She could have been, we don't know, she could have been on her deathbed for weeks up to this point. God granted the power of that moment that Jesus could speak life back into a dead body. I don't know about you, but man, what does Scripture say? How did they respond? Literally, they were beside themselves. When you go and look at the Greek, the Greek gives the very clear color here that everyone in that room was like, whoa, what did we just see? I had a moment like that um, a couple weeks ago. It's probably been a couple months uh, I was talking with a few airmen. When I'm not here, I, you guys grant me the privilege, and I, I cannot tell you thank you enough that I can put on uniform and go help serve our men and women who are standing in difficult positions. And so I was talking with these two men of, of the faith. There were two brothers, two Christian brothers, young airmen coming into the military. And they, I asked him, I said, hey, tell me a little bit about your faith, because we, we started talking about churches and whatnot. And so they began to tell their story, and I was like, man, that is awesome. You know, I, I'm glad to have a Christian brother in uniform. And they told me what their long-term goal was, and they wanted to go into special ops. And I said, do you realize the difficulty of what you're going to walk into? And he said, well, that's why we've paired up, because we want to be accountability to one another. And I said, then you guys have absolutely no fear because you know the mission. Most of the missions you're going to be handed, you're not coming back home. And he said, I have no fear. None at all. And it just blew my mind because as much as I get a moment like that every once in a while that men and women know the cost that they're putting forward, I have many others who are crying at the doorstep saying, chaplain, I want out because I didn't know that I was possibly going to be in dangerous way when I joined the military. And so... There's no, there's no question here. What Jesus did was life-altering. That's why he said, don't share this. Was Jesus trying to put a lid on what he could do? I don't know. I wasn't there at that moment. But I can only imagine coming out of the multitudes that were beginning uh, to just clamor for Christ. He was much more than just a miracle worker. This morning, the challenge stands for us. It points to the greater need in our lives. Many of us will clamor and claw and we will emotionally fight a battle that we just want to enjoy the things of this world. But I'm telling you this morning, friends, there is way more than what this life can give. And we need a Savior that gives eternal life. What are some application points here? There's so many different things to talk about here. But I'm going to end this with a couple thoughts. Number one, what does this tell us about God and who he is as we live day to day? Number one, social status, gender, distinctions, none of them matter before a Savior. A God who cares for the demon possessed to the man of distinction here and the outcast woman and the little girl who was rendered powerless by death. You know what? 
God truly loves his created, and he desires for us to live by faith. By faith. I think the second powerful thing that this passage brings to us in application and thought is that Christ has overcome death himself to give us this hope of eternal redemption. Have you enjoyed worship this morning? I can't tell you it was just because of David and I's picking and that we picked the right songs. I'm telling you, we have a hope and a joy that many people never, ever experience because of what Christ has done for us. He has accomplished it, and wait until we get to the miracle story when Jesus raises Lazarus and Jesus experiences a resurrection too. I'm telling you, the rooftop's coming off. This morning, the question is, what desperation are you in today? We all have moments in our life we need something. We've looked at two people this morning that were in desperate positions. No matter where you're at, I can tell you this morning with all confidence that Jesus Christ is available and he is faithfully compassionate, ready to meet your need and mine. He's even all-powerful to overcome the enemy of our soul, and that is death. What if, doesn't, what if God doesn't heal us? That's a question I've been asked many times, and I'm sure even here this morning, as many of you have family members that may be facing this subject of death. What if God doesn't heal? How do you answer that difficult question? And oftentimes, you know, I, I'm just like you. I wish God would walk behind me and say, hey, God, can you fix that? Hey, God, can you fix that? And the challenge here is that God doesn't want us to live with, him, with God as an easy answer man in our pocket. He wants us to live by faith. There's some things in this nasty, rotten world after the fall and sin that happened in the garden we're going to walk through. But you know what? When we get to glory, we're going to spend eternity saying, remember that? I had faith in the one who has the, holds the authority over it all. That's the only way I can get out of bed sometimes in the morning. There's things in my life that I go, God, why did you let this happen? And the truth is, it's the faith that God wants us to enjoy in the riches of heaven. I think Daniel chapter 3, the three men, Radshak, Meshach, and Abednego, listen to what they said. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, God, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he, God over all, will rescue us from your hand, O King Nebuchadnezzar. But even if he does what? Not. We want you to know, O King, that we're not going to serve your God or the statue of gold that you put before us. You know, that's the faith that God calls us forward in. That's the faith that God wants us to live because I'm telling you on the other side of glory, that is the richness that God wants us to have. So this morning, I don't know where you are. Maybe you wrestle with that element of faith as well. But I think Martin Luther probably exemplifies this the best for me. If you know anything about his, his um, life and time, his daughter, Magdalena, who was barely 14 years of age, she incurred, she was stricken by the plague. It says that as she suffered such pain and agony, he knelt next to her bed and just pleaded for God, Please free her from this pain. Well, death finally did come. And it says that literally as the carpenters were kneeling, Magdalena's coffin closed. Martin Luther said, hammer away, O doomsday. One day she will rise. 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Oh, Lord, the victory is not in fixing the problem that stands before us, but, Father, the victory is living each and every day in the faith that is given and granted by you. Lord, this morning, we know there are those in our church family that are facing the issue of life and death. And so, Father, I don't stand here sheepishly saying that it's just an easy believe moment. Believe in Jesus and it's all going to be good. Lord, we pray that your hand of compassion, your availability as a Savior, would be felt in the hearts and the lives of those around us that need you. Father, most of all, we just thank you for the hope that is given only through you. The testimony and the proof of you raising from the dead. God, you once and for all have broken the chain of death. Father, help us to live day by day in that posture of faith. Lord, there are moments we will waver and we'll be tempted to doubt. And Lord, the details of life just are overwhelming. But Father, we just pray that you would guide us, that we would show um, the hope that resides within us. We praise you and thank you, Father, and ask this in your most wonderful name. Amen. I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know if you're tired and finally realize that, you know what, the, the, the religious effort of me trying to work my way to God, it produces nothing but spiritual death. You may be in this spot where today it finally clicked. I hope that you would have the courage today to raise a hand and say, hey, I want to hear more about this, James. Tell me more. It finally clicks. It resonates in my soul. I know I'm spiritually dead. I need a Savior. For others of you this morning, you know what? God has placed a person on your mind as we've been here this morning. Will you pray for him? Students, as you prepare for a mission trip in a few weeks, church, as we go into mission the last week of June, have you started praying that the truth and the gospel of this message that we just read would be on the tip of our tongue and we'd be ready to testify of that hope? I don't know what you need this morning, but I can tell you we have a Savior that answers all needs of our life. As we stand together, I'll meet you down front. I've prepared the altar for those who need to just simply come and pray this morning. Let's stand together as we sing. You come. Come just as you are. Hear the Spirit
Christ the King, come and live forever, life everlasting, life everlasting, I hope today has been an encouragement. I hope today has been an equally more challenge for you because it has been for me this week reading through this passage. Amen. We know that we have a risen Savior and that he holds authority over life and death. Um, I hope you have a good afternoon. I know there's some meetings this afternoon. Remember, pray for our um, missions team. Also, come back tonight. Jeffrey's going to be preaching tonight, and he said it could be quite interesting. So I'll leave it there. Um, No, we'll have a good time together tonight. I know it'll be well worth your effort in coming back this afternoon. Um, With that being said, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the love that you have shown to us. Lord God, we thank you for the compassion. Then a Savior that can cure all needs the snap of a finger. God, we know you are far greater than that. You're not a miracle worker. But, Father, you're a compassionate Savior that loves us and is available to us. Guide us this week. Lord, may you open a door that we can bring testimony to who you truly are. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.